Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B Guy Live today, March 23rd, 2022. Going to have a conversation around H1B visa alternatives, discussing H1B lottery results or lack thereof, and also taking your questions and comments. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguide.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, and by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. Well, it is hard to believe that we are now five days removed from the H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2023 closing uh, back on Friday, March 18th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, for many of you, I know that it was a last minute scramble uh, to get your name into the electronic portal, I'm aware of several individuals who made it in with only minutes to spare, and it's hard to believe that the current system is conducive to really last-minute applications. Uh, but with that being said, I wanted to talk about individuals who over the next week may find out that uh, they weren't selected for the lottery or Potentially, you are an individual that may be outside of the U.S. who is considering what other options you have um, if you are a high-skilled immigrant and you're looking to come to the U.S. There was an article that was uh, recently posted, I think it was last week, um, from Envoy Global. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Envoy Global, uh, they used to be known as Visa Now, uh, but they are one of the largest online uh, immigration attorneys that pull from a, a variety of attorneys that provide legal advice, not only for employers, um, but also for individuals. And so they shared an article, um, and some of this is going to be a repeat, but I want to talk about it and add some color to it, um, and also remind you of some content that I've put out previously in the past that uh, also covers it a little bit more in detail. Uh, so the article is five H-1B visa alternatives. And the first one that they give is the TN visa. Of course, I did a video called TN visa, what you need to know, uh, where I covered the background and history of the TN visa and also talked about how you would qualify. Uh, but this article goes on to say the TN visa is an employer-sponsored visa available exclusively to Canadian and Mexican nationals. It allows certain professionals from both countries to work in the U.S. in a variety of designated occupations, including engineers, computer systems analysts, and architects, among others. The initial validity period for a TN visa is three years. Unlike the H-1B and other employer-sponsored visas, TN visa holders can apply for 
unlimited renewals, which are granted in three-year increments. Uh, so I thought that this was um, an interesting piece of uh, information here. Um, my experience with the TN has primarily been that the Canadian TN is generally approved in two to three year increments, and that's based on the request of the employer um, via a TN visa employment letter. However, my experience with Mexican TNs has not been in three year increments. It's generally been in 12 month increments, and it also requires consulate processing, um, which I've found uh, quite honestly to, um, you know, really hamper some of the the mexican-based tns that, that work here in the us of course those can be extended um while here in the us but typically in my experience most individuals prefer to return back um, and go through the consular process however on the tns a little bit more affordable from an employer perspective uh, the fees are a little bit less and individuals typically go to a port of entry and and go through an interview process with a CBP, Customs Border Protection Agent. Um, so again, I think the TN is a very valid approach if you're a citizen of Mexico or Canada looking to come to the US. The biggest thing about the TN visa though is that it's not considered dual intent. So there really isn't a path to permanent residency here in the US in order to go through that path. You generally are gonna go from TN to H1B um, and then have an employer sponsored uh, green card that would would kind of follow that that pathway. Um, I'm a fan of the TN visa. Uh, during COVID, it was heavily restricted, of course, based on on travel. Um, but we're seeing new TNs really frequently starting to pick up here in the U.S. And I think it's really allowing itself to, um, you know, become a, another viable solution for U.S.-based employers. Uh, to bring in, you know, high-skilled immigrants uh, from Canada and Mexico. The next one that's mentioned in the article, and it's not a visa that I've talked about a whole lot here on this channel, um, but a lot of anti-H-1B individuals typically turn to the O-1 visa as a viable alternative, um, which I really don't agree with. But with that being said, the O-1 visa is a visa for accomplished individuals who are recognized nationally or internationally as extraordinary, extraordinary or outstanding in their field. Its popularity uh, is known as the visa granted to nationally and internationally recognized individuals in the sciences, arts, education, business, and athletic fields, as well as outstanding researchers. To be eligible for an O-1 visa, an individual must be considered a person of extraordinary ability or achievement. O-1 visa recipients are experts, and they often are among the most elite in their professional field. Um, individuals can establish their eligibility for an O-1 visa by demonstrating exceptional achievements, honors, and awards received in the field of interest. Uh, dependents such as children and spouses may also be eligible to receive a derivative visa called the O-3 visa. Uh, the O-1 visa may also be granted for an initial period of up to three years, and individuals may seek one-year or three-year extensions indefinitely after the initial stay period. Uh, so again, I think the O-1 becomes a, a very viable option, uh, but my experience has been it's more in the research, athletic, and music fields. Um, and I don't think for the majority of you who follow this platform and um, keep up with uh, the h1bguy.com um, would pursue this avenue. I know that many of you out there, you know, it may be a possibility, uh, but my experience with the O-1 visa is, is more limited. 
but what I will tell you is that when I hear indefinitely, meaning you can seek one year or three year extensions indefinitely, um, I'd be interested to know how it's seen from a dual intent uh, point of view. And if it's something that that generally, um, you know, comes up uh, when it comes to adjustment of status. Um the next one that is mentioned, and we've covered this a little bit here on this, this platform, and that's treaty visas. Um, so there's several types of uh, treaty visas available as an alternative to the H-1B. The two most popular options are the E-1 and E-2 visa, which are non-immigrant visas for temporary employment in the U.S., uh, the E-1 visa allows nationals from a treaty country, which is a country that has a treaty of commerce and navigation with the U.S. to be admitted into the U.S. to engage in international trade. Um, and the E-2 visa also requires an investment treaty between the U.S. and the visa applicant's country of citizenship. It allows individuals to enter into the U.S. to manage a business if they've invested a substantial amount of capital in a U.S. business, including a newly founded business. Certain managerial and essential employees of foreign companies may also qualify for E1 or E2 classifications. Uh, I generally refer to the E2 as, as the investor visa. Um, so it is something that in, in terms of, you know, my experience, and, and we've talked about this a good bit, um, there are around the documented dreamers, a lot of E2 dependents have been impacted um, you know, via this, um, uh, the, the E2 visa and, and aging out, right? Because the E2, uh, again, is, is not what's considered a dual intent visa, right? You, you hear it referred to here as a, a visa for temporary employment. Even if an individual is investing in a U.S. business or creating a newly founded business, okay? Uh, so that's something that, um, you know, we, we've talked about a good bit here on this channel, but primarily around the E2 dependence. Um, and I think one of the biggest issues that, that I've come across is, as it relates to um, specifically the E2 is that there isn't a whole lot of opportunity for individuals um, to, to gain access to permanent residency. So I think that while the E2 is a viable approach, um, for those who are sitting on a fair amount of capital, um, it will allow, you know, extended stay here in the U.S. specifically. Um, but again, it's it's not a visa I'm as familiar with. I have talked to many of you who have been on an E-2 visa. Uh, we've talked about some of the, the trials and tribulations that surround being on an E-2 visa um, and some of the difficulty that, that you've had as it relates to um, your children right and those individuals um and and how they age out right uh, so we've talked about this a good bit as well um with that being said uh, a lot of when we look at e2s and some of the minimum thresholds around it there's a pretty substantial investment that has to be made in order to qualify um so let's move on to the next one, and that's the E3 visa. Uh, I've previously covered the E3 visa in E3 visa, what you need to know. Uh, but the E3 visa is available exclusively for Australian citizens to work in the U.S. in a specialty occupation. Uh, there is an annual limit of 10,500 E3 visas. Uh, however, Australia does not typically fulfill that allotment. 
Um, and this allows employers to seek E3 visas for Australian employees and candidates year round. Unlike the H-1B visa, the initial application for the E-3 visa bypasses the USCIS petition process and individuals may apply for E-3 visas directly at a U.S. consulate abroad. Uh, E-3 visas are issued in two-year increments and can be renewed indefinitely. The principal E-visa holder may also bring dependents from their country of origin to the U.S. for business and employment purposes. Um, I've worked with E-3 visas uh, a good bit. Um, and I think it's a very viable option if you are an Australian citizen, uh, high skilled in, in tech specifically. Um, it is dual intent. So there is a, a pathway to permanent residency here in the U.S. Um, what I do like about the E3 is, um, again, it, it can be extended into your increments sort of indefinitely. There isn't necessarily a maximum stay that, that surrounds the E3 visa. Um, but it also is a little bit more complicated in the sense that uh, you have to have a, a consulate process, meaning it has to be approved via consulate processing outside of the U.S., the initial E3. Once you have the initial E3 and enter into the U.S., it is transferable, meaning you can transfer your current E3 visa uh, via change of employer um, and renew that cycle continuously. Um, so I'm a, I'm a proponent of the E3 visa. I, I think that it is a little bit less restrictive um, when we start to look at how it is formulated. Um, it does have the dual intent that surrounds it. And when you start to look at the caps, um, again, you're talking about you know 10,500. Over the last few years, we've not come close to even reaching that cap. Um, so... I think when you start to uh, look at that, the E3, if you're an Australian citizen or if you're someone who maybe moved to Australia, became a permanent resident, and then an Australian citizen, um, there is a pathway, uh, and I think it's a very viable option. Um, I'm aware of many employers who've used the E3 as an option for high-skilled immigrants um, of country of origin is Australia. And then the last one that's mentioned is the L visa. Uh, of course, I've covered the L visa um, a good bit, uh, specifically uh, almost two years ago now in the H-1B visa versus uh, L-1 visa, um, L-1B visa, and um, kind of talked about uh, the, the discrepancies between, um, you know, the, the, the different options there. Uh, but as the article says, the L visa can be an effective alternative to the H-1B for U.S.-based companies with offices abroad. It is an intra-company transfer visa that allows U.S. companies to transfer certain personnel from foreign subsidiaries, parents, or other affiliated companies to work locations in the U.S. Uh, there are two separate visas in this category, the L-1 classification, which is for managers and executives, and then the L-1B classification, um, is for personnel um, with specialized knowledge of some aspect of the employer's business. The L1 classification can also be used to send managers or executives to the U.S. for purposes of establishing a new office in the U.S. The one thing that it doesn't talk about here is the validity period. So L1As are valid for up to seven years, um, whereas L1Bs are valid uh, typically for five years. Now, the good thing about the L1 currently in its current form is that it does provide uh, work authorization for um, the spouse dependent. 
And I think that's a, a really big thing when we start to look at, um, you know, how that breaks down from individuals who, uh, when we look at H4 dependents that, that come to the U.S. and don't have work authorization immediately. Uh, some recent law changes um, have allowed the L2 EAD um, to be approved at port of entry. Uh, so that basically means once the individual enters into the U.S., um, has the approval, and then collects their physical card, they would then have work authorization. I am uncertain, though. I don't believe the physical card is being issued at the port of entry, but I do believe that there are um, uh, avenues for which uh, that that is the turnaround typically is within, I believe, 30 to 60 days. Um, which honestly isn't much different, but it may just mean once you have the approval, you have the work authorization and you forego having to have the physical card. Um, but I'd love to know if anyone has uh, has gone through this process here recently um, and if that work authorization uh, was immediate. Um, so that wraps it up again when we talk about, you know, five H-1B visa alternatives. Of course, many of you are familiar with this. Um, not really anything new as it relates to, to, to new content, but just kind of covering the basics as we are now five days removed from the H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2023 closing for any new applications. Uh, so those of you who may be abroad who are seeking what alternatives you have, of course, to, to recap it, the TN visa for both Canadian and Mexican citizens. Um, the O-1 visa, which goes back to this extraordinary or outstanding ability in their field. Uh, again, my experience has typically been in education, research, um, musicians, and athletics. Uh, the treaty visas, of course, the E-1 and E-2. E-2 primarily being on that investor side. Uh, the E-3 visa, um, which is for Australian citizens, very similar to the H-1B, but it works in 24-month increments. Um, and then last is the L visa, both the L1A and L1B visa. So I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, uh, make sure that you like this video, uh, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, uh, click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live, like we have here today at 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, if you have questions or comments, please post those in the chat and I will get to them. Um, I see several questions already in the chat, and I'll do my best to uh, to, to go through those. Um, and then the we'll do a Q&A here at the end. So if you do have questions, I'm trying to monitor those questions right now. Um, but I also wanted to mention, if you're looking for ways you can support the H1B Guy platform, um, you can do so currently through this live stream and the super chat function in YouTube. If you're watching or listening to this at a later date, um, there are ways that you could support this platform in the video description, um, specifically via buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B guy. Uh, any uh, support that you do provide to this platform is reinvested in the technology of the H1B guy platform. Um, here, specifically with a lot of the technology that goes into the live streaming and the lighting, um, as well as um, the editing that, that I do utilize. So I really appreciate all of you who have taken time to support me um, and provide uh, sponsorship to the H1B Guy platform. Thank you for everyone who's taken time out of your afternoon here to, to join me today. I really appreciate it. Um, 
just uh, just can't thank you enough for the opportunity to, to, to chat with you here this afternoon. Um, with that being said, I wanted to move into uh, some of the, the recent information um, that hasn't really come out as we start to look at um, as we start to look at the H1B lottery results. And, you know, the, the one of the biggest things that, that we've been talking about, and I honestly expected there to already be um, some notifications being sent out. Uh, if, if you've received notification um, of your selection, please post that in the chat. I'd love to hear it. Uh, but it sure appears to me that it looks like it's going to be either tomorrow or Friday. Um, at the very least, they need to give petitioning employers a week because that portal does open up on April 1st um, for uh, paper selections. Um, with that, you know, I know a lot of you are asking me, when are the results going to be out? Yeah, that was the question I was asking on Twitter yesterday, right? Is uh, when are these results going to be out? And, and unfortunately, we're still waiting on those results. Um, they have not come out yet. And, uh, you know, I, again, my my expectation is literally anytime between now and Friday, close the business Friday. So I'd say 5 p.m. Eastern, maybe even after that, um, you may begin to see your my USCIS account being updated. Uh, so I'm, I'm really I'm holding my breath. Right. Like many of you just anxiously awaiting when these results are going to come out. Um, I'm really surprised that USCIS has not posted the results yet. Um, again, what does that mean? Does that mean that the selection hasn't taken place? Does that mean that they're still going through um, and, and, and finalizing selections and then sending out notifications? Um, but I really thought that, you know, with the portal ending or uh, closing at noon last Friday on March 18th, that over the, this past weekend that we may begin to see some selection notifications. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Um, again, we have another delay in USCIS. And I think the thing that's that's really kind of puzzling for me um, is how quickly that, that they can run these selections and do these notifications. Um, it, it's not like they have to review paper applications, right? Literally, it's, it's an algorithm. And that algorithm is based on the name. Uh, and the number of names that are submitted in and how many are allotted based on the two separate pools, 65,000 for uh, bachelor's degrees, for national bachelor's degrees, and then another 20,000 for uh, U.S. advanced degrees. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you. I, I assume many of you out there who are asking me the same question haven't heard anything. Um, but with that being said, I, I expect us to know something sometime in the next 48 hours. Um, so I would think by end of business on March 25th, Friday, March 25th, we should have an update as it relates to the H1B lottery results. But I, I honestly, I do find it puzzling that we are, again, five plus days removed from the, the portal ending and we're still waiting on um uscis to to run the selections and to to produce the results um i see that there's there's some chatter here in the chat that's saying that two hundred and ninety thousand applications were filed i'd love to see where that data came from um again i'm still expecting that there to be over three hundred thousand applications 
Um, but if if that 290,000 number holds true, uh, it actually would be less than what we saw last year, but more than what we saw in the previous year. Um, but what, one thing we have seen, right, 275,000 for uh, fiscal year 2021, uh, 308,000 for fiscal year 2022. Um, and, and as I've been, you know, estimating 310,000 for this year, but even if that 290,000 number holds true, um, you know, we're very close to a million names submitted in the H-1B lottery electronic portal over the last three years. And so for many of you who have followed me and followed this platform for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about the value of the H-1B visa has never been higher. And, and here we continue to see just the outright demand from not only individuals, but from employers willing to send in a $10 non-refundable fee to put an individual name into the electronic portal. So again, what, what does this mean? I think it goes back to some of the timeframes that we've talked about. Um, and that is if truly USCIS is going to begin accepting applications starting on April 1st, uh, which is next Friday, um, roughly nine days, um, they're going to have to get out notifications uh, pretty quickly here so that employers uh, petitioners have enough time to provide a full paper um, application uh, to USCIS. If there is um, that 90-day window, which we've we've seen in the past for employers to respond, um, that would put us towards the end of June, so June 30th. Um, and, and I think that would give USCIS roughly, you know, two to three weeks. Um, to adjudicate or approve any cases that that may be pending and then subsequently hold a second lottery at some point in the middle end of July. Again, this is a pattern that we've been seeing here over the last couple of years. It seems like to me that fiscal year 2023 may be more of an anomaly, um, but it will be very interesting uh, for me to, to kind of watch and see if there is a second and subsequent third lottery that's held this year. Um, and then we we can honestly start to look at the historical data that that surrounds it. Um, for those of you who have seen some of this data out there, you know, the first round had a 70 percent application rate based on selection from last year with the second round somewhere around 40 percent, which led me to kind of come up with the conclusion that even if the third lottery had a, a fairly high um, response rate, that, that there would possibly be a fourth lottery. Um, which that was proven incorrect. Uh, USCIS made may notice uh, in February that they had uh, received sufficient applications um, for H-1B lottery for fiscal year 2022, and uh, we're, we're closing and considering the lottery finalized. Um, but again, you know, we start to look at a lot of the things that are going on here. Um, it, it, it's really interesting uh, to see how there's a delay in pushing these notices out. It's also very interesting some of the timing around some of the legislation that, that we've seen, specifically that H-1B and L-1 Visa Reform Act, um, which I've covered here a good bit on the channel over the last uh, last couple of weeks. Um, that was sponsored by uh, our, our good friends, uh, Senator Grassley and, and Senator Durbin. Um, and I say that very loosely, 
Um, and, and then kind of the subsequent relief act. Um, there was some news that I saw earlier today that, that talked about uh, effort for bipartisan immigration reform and what that's going to look like. Again, as I've been saying, um, I think a standalone smaller bill has a higher probability of being enacted into law um, and kind of working its way through through both chambers. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see there be some attempt at some sort of comprehensive immigration reform that potentially could be a, a uh, more of an umbrella type piece of legislation that would combine some of the text from the H-1B and L-1 Visa Reform Act, and even potentially some of the Relief Act, as well as maybe even some of the um, the DACA or Documented Dreamers text. However, it, it does feel like, and, and as I've said, the America's Children's Act, um, I think you're seeing a lot of momentum for that standalone piece of legislation. And I think that's only going to continue um, as it is a different and unique story and situation. A lot of my complaints as we look at immigration reform go back to the last real reform that was done was in the kind of late or excuse me, early, mid, like 20, 2013. Um, so, you know, we're we're nine years since we've had some some viable reform and you can go back to some of the executive orders uh, that that came from uh, former President Obama. When you start to look at the H-4 um, executive order that, that gave H-4 EADs uh, work authorization that that dates back to 2015. Um, so, again, anxiously awaiting these results, I expect uh, a, sometime between now and uh, the, the close of business on Friday for notifications to begin um, filtering out and hitting your my C USCIS account. So as you continue to monitor it, if you do get a notification of selection, please shoot me a message. I'd love to hear um, that notification selections are starting to be sent out. Um, with that being said, just wanted to ask you again, if you haven't already, please like this video. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Uh, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel or go live like we have here today on March 23rd. I also wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who's taken time to watch the H1B Guy news for the week ending March 18th. Um, that video is proving itself to be very popular. And I think one of the biggest things that's come from that video um, is just honestly my, my opinion on the green card backlog. And the statement and quote that I provided from that, which basically says the green card backlog and the million plus individuals that are currently stuck in decades long wait is honestly a humanitarian crisis in our own backyard. And I vehemently believe that. And until something changes, um, as we continue to have um, quotas on uh, employment-based preferences for country of origin, they are discriminatory. And we look at the dual intent, as we were talking about earlier, um, to, to draw a parallel to our friends on E3 visas, um, or to draw parallels to our friends who maybe came here on a TN visa that then went on an H-1B visa. 
once they have a perm labor certification um, and their I-140 and I-485 can be, you know, filed in parallel because their countries are current. And to think that we are restricting our high-skilled talent and innovators uh, from coming to this country who seek permanent residency from doing so and restricting them in decades-long wait, um, to me, is a real issue. And a honestly, as I said, it's a, it's a humanitarian crisis. Um, it's something that I'm going to continue to talk about here on this platform and channel until something changes. Uh, so again, if you're looking for ways you can support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so through the super chat function here on YouTube. Um, and you can also do so if you're watching or listening to this at a later date via buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B Guy. Uh, so for some reason, I'm having a little bit of an issue with the chat here in my stream. I do see the questions um, in the chat on uh, uh, YouTube. Um, so I'm going to try to just, I'm not going to be able to pull those up, but I will read them out loud and do my best to answer them as we roll through it. If you have other questions or comments, please go ahead and drop those in the chat now um, if you haven't already done so. So the first question that I have is from uh, Gengadhara, and he asks, um, my priority date is 2015, June 2011. I have both EB2 and EB3. Any chance of filing 485 this year? I don't think so. Um, for many of you who keep up with this, know that I honestly was surprised by the 365 days of foreign movement that occurred in dates of filing for Indian EB2 and the fact that USCIS is accepting dates of filing. And then the subsequent tweet and notification that they put out on my USCIS on a news release on an alert um, asking for applications tells me that there was a, a pretty severe miscalculation that took place between uh, USCIS and the Department of State. And then it looks like USCIS is going to make every effort possible um, to fully utilize the, the current allotment, um, which has been calculated to be somewhere around 290,000. Um, but I think we all pretty much agree that there's no way that USCIS is going to be capable of processing more than 180,000 cases. So what does that mean kind of as we move into the, 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 the next quarter and Q3, if you will, um, starting in April and then Q4 that will start over the summer, um, I would be surprised if we see any more movement for dates of filing in India EB2. But I do believe, though, that based on that movement, that 365 days, we are going to see some progress for final action dates. Um, Siam asked, how many H-1B registrations are submitted in 2022? I've not seen an exact number, um, but I did predict that there would be around 310,000 submitted this year. Um, I've seen some... Uh, in the chat here, Jagadish says that there were 290,000 registrations filed. Um, I have not seen any data on that, so I'd love to see a link or some information. Uh, if any of you have that, I, I'd definitely like to look into that. Um, Sandeep G asks, any chance for March 2015 to be current this year? I have both EB3 and EB2 approved. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the same answer that I just uh gave Ganga Hara, um, which is to say, I, I don't think we're going to see any more movement in the dates of filing for India EB2 for the foreseeable future. 
Um, I'd even go as far as to say October of 2022. Uh, but I also had a pretty severe miscalculation um, last month. I didn't think we'd see any movement at all for India EB2 dates of filing, and we saw 365 days of forward movement. So that just lends itself to the chaos that's occurring internally within the Department of State and USCIS, the lack of communication and transparency, and quite honestly, uh, a severe miscalculation. It makes me wonder what Charlie Oppenheim is thinking right now. Uh, because would we see such a severe miscalculation or mistake um, if Charlie was still involved and in, in working very closely with USCIS? Uh, as we covered many times in the chats with Charlie, he talked about the process to which uh, USCIS reports the numbers and meets with the Department of State. And then subsequently, um, the bulletin is agreed on at the beginning of the month and typically produced in the middle of the month. Um, but right now, uh, Sandeep, I don't think so, but that's an as of right now. Uh, situation continues to remain very fluid, and it's one of those where anyone who says they know exactly what's going on is lying to you. As I've told you many times, when we do these these visa bulletin forecasts or predictions, um, they're literally guesses, made-up guesses based on my own personal hunches and historical data. I've been tracking the visa bulletin for the better part of 10 years. Um, so I feel like when it comes to my feel for how the visa bulletin moves, um, I think I have a pretty, pretty good grasp of it. And, and I think a lot of you would agree with it. If you watch the H1B guy grades for April 2022's visa bulletin predictions, I, I hit at 88%. But the disclaimer is, is that EB1s are basically given, EB4s haven't moved, and China EB2 and EB3 and India EB3 haven't moved. So really, the only thing that we're looking at that is having any movement has been India EB2 for final action and dates of filing. But the oddest thing about that is that in the March visa bulletin, there was mention of corrective action for India EB2. And then we saw 63 days of forward movement for final action. I believe it was 63 days, maybe in a little bit more than that. And then 365 days for dates of filing. So who knows what's going on, if, if we're being honest. Uh, Siam asks, uh, how many H-1B registrations for 2022? Again, I don't know a specific number. I was predicting 310,000, but it looks like uh, kind of in the chat here from Jagadi, she mentions 290K. Um, on Prakash asks, I got my H-1B visa in 2011 um, and I stayed in the U.S. for 20 months and I came back to India. Will it go into a lottery system or lottery is not required as I've not completed six years in the U.S.? Please help. Um, yeah, you can actually reactivate that previously issued H-1B if you wanted to. Um, you could do that through a either uh, an amendment lawyer. Um, but also, since if you have been outside of the U.S. for more than 12 months, uh, you could be eligible for going back into the lottery if you wanted to and starting all over with a fresh H-1B. But I think the easiest method for you would be to look at an H-1B change of employer via consulate processing. Uh, Dr. J. Uh, Gorara says someone on H-1B who also has EB-5 petition pending, and if they file I-45 based on that, and if the dependent spouse of H-4 uses EAD, can they go back on H-4 if 
526 is denied. Um, I'm not sure. The only thing that I would think they should be able to maintain that H4 EAD as long as you have a valid H1B with approval dates, right? So as long as your H1B is still valid and has uh, validity on it, meaning you have dates into the future, you have an approved I-140 and can extend the H-1B, spouse should be able to continue to work on H-4 EAD. Um, let's see. Uh, Tharun asked total number of registrations at this time compared to last year. Yeah, still working through that. Uh, again, as I've said, I, I expected 310. I'm seeing some chatter about 290. But if we go back to last year, it was 308,000. So if it was 290, you're talking about an 18K difference for this year. Uh, Srikanth asks, are there a lot of results out yet? No, I've not seen them. Um, uh, Mohawk asks, uh, how do you know the total registrations filed? USCIS actually reports that number, um, uh, Mohawk. So we should see that at some point here in the very near future. Um, just wanted to mention again, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. If you're looking for ways you can support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so through the super chat function currently here on YouTube. Uh, JJ says, since many people till January 2015 already downgraded from EB2 to EB3 in October 2020, many are still waiting for EADAP. What is the reason for September 2014 uh, dates of filing? Uh, and then the interfile request. I think it's it's a severe miscalculation, JJ. Um, it's just what it comes down to. Um, hi, H1B guy. This is Ro. Good content. Has a lot of results been out? Has anyone gotten any lot of results? No, not that I'm aware of. Still anticipating that to, to happen sometime between now and uh, by close of business Friday. Shrikanth, hi. Uh, duplicate registrations are eliminated in the lottery? No, they're not. Uh, only employers can only submit an individual name once, but individuals can have multiple employers submit their name in. Um, Aswara asks, can EB3 progress further in current fiscal year as everyone may go to EB2? If so, how many months it will move forward? No, I don't anticipate any movement in EB3 until October. Um, if you go back to one of the either chats with Charlie seven or eight, he had a really good slide that talked about the number demand was already reached and there was a deficit for EB3. Um, so I don't expect even with the upgrade, downgrade or inner filings that that would move EB3 at all. Uh, Colette asks, if I get selected in the H1B lottery, do my work authorization automatically get extended to October? If you are an OPT EAD or OPT STEM and you're selected, you would be considered a cap gap. And yes, your work authorization would be extended until October. Uh, Eswar asked one more time, will EB3 final action or dates of filing move to December 2013, early 2014? I don't expect that to happen until October of 2022. Hey, sweet seller, thank you. Um, there's a lot of movement of application to NBC from other two centers. Uh, will it slow down processing times at NBC? NBC, I'm assuming you're referring to the Nebraska Center. Um, I guess it depends on on what that volume looks like. But we've talked about Nebraska and Texas. We've joked about the Google reviews for both, um, and both are horrific. But I would hope that if there were some sort of movement between the two centers, it hopefully would increase 
the processing times and maybe getting individuals to at least that EAD AP. Um, uh, Aluru asked, when will the results be announced? Again, I'm expecting that to be by Friday of this week. Um, and then Khan asks, I'm not sure if anyone has asked this question. If H-1B holder spouse can work, what would be the process? You have to have an approved I-140. So that's the second step of the employment-based green card sponsorship. So you have a certified perm labor and an approved I-140. And once you have that, then you can apply for an H-4 EAD via an I-765. So that's all the time I have here today. I wanted to thank all of you who have taken time to shoot me a question Join me in the chat, like this video. I just really appreciate your time and your support. Um, I wanted to just remind everyone that today's live stream was brought to you by Synthesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Synthesis and Path to Canada are your answers. If you want to find out if you qualify, please be sure to use the link in the video description below and someone from Synthesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. I also wanted to remind you that on April the 9th at 1 p.m. Eastern, I'll be joined by Mark uh, Palavopoulos from Path to Canada and Synthesis, as well as Daniel Mandelbaum, a Canadian immigration attorney, to discuss the case for Canada. Please make plans to join me. The stream was also brought to you by perm-ads.com the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you're looking to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. Just wanted to ask you again to please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we have here today on March 23rd, 2022 at 2 p.m. Eastern. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for taking the time to watch my video and join me here on this live stream. I just really appreciate your support and I cannot do this without you. I'm Robert. I'm the H-1B Guy, your global source for all things H-1B.